0: Before Thee let my cry come near, O oh Lord, true to Thy word, teach me. Before We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Peace. Weather's a whole lot better today than it's been in a little while. I guess, at least for me it is. You know, some people may not like uh, dark clouds or windy, misty, but but I do. Maybe I, somewhere in my uh, jeans, well not somewhere in my jeans, I actually, all of my jeans are from Scotland and And uh, England, which it rains a lot. So maybe that's it. That's probably what it is. So uh, I don't really like the super blazing hot heat. um, So I'm glad to have beautiful weather today. You know, God calls us into his presence today as his people uh, to worship him. And and when he does, God doesn't enjoy uh, ritual and duty as much as he does hearts that love him. God calls us to, you know, many times the indictment against Israel was that with their lips, they are very close to me. We, they talk about me, but with their hearts are what? Their hearts are, their hearts are far away. And so you might even say, well, my heart kind of feels far away today. You know, the Bible says that God gives people a new heart. The scripture it says in Jeremiah that God, one thing that God is going to do that the rest of the world and the rest of time did not have is that God would take the stony heart out of us and he would give us a heart of flesh. God wants us to be a little bit squishy and gooey. If you, I don't know, maybe if those aren't great theological uh, terms that you might not understand, but you know, you know what that means? Well, these two over here, they seem to know what that means. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so, so there's a, there's a squishiness and a gooiness and a, and a God wants us, uh, as he says, he commands this in the commandment that we're to love him with all of our heart, our mind and our soul, our strength. So this doesn't mean that, okay, we've got a list of things to do and let's just do those. Uh, that's not really what God's going for. Now, sometimes you, you can fake it until you make it, um, as far as that goes. Sometimes things don't feel so great. Um, but the deal is, is that God can give us a new heart. David, in Psalm 51, um, we may often use this as a call to worship. And it's one of the strangest things to me ever. That the children of Israel would have a song that they sang that reminded them of the sin of their king. Could you imagine that? Imagine if we had a song that reminded us of, you know, let's say Foundation Church, and I know I'm not your king, but I am a leader of your church. Uh, Better me than naming somebody else, right? Uh, Did something really, really, really bad, and we're going to sing about it today because he was really sorry for it. I mean, can you imagine having a song like that sung But Israel did. Israel had a song reminding them that their king committed adultery, committed murder, did some horrible stuff. So I know that's kind of rough. But the deal is is that what we see in Psalm 51 is that David is not just going, hey, could you not let everyone know about this? Could we just keep this quiet so that no one knows anything about this? David doesn't seem to be concerned about it. In fact, he wrote this to be sung. Why? Why? Because his heart was crushed, really, by his own sin. The Bible doesn't tell us that we're not going to sin, but what God wants in us and what can be accomplished in us is that our own sin crushes us. And why? Because we love God. When you do somebody wrong or you hurt somebody that's close to you, it should hurt you. You should suffer with it for even the things that you've done. And that's really what David is doing. I'm a preacher, and so when I get up here, I just want to start preaching immediately. Can we just do that and just preach for the next little while and skip some of that other stuff? I'll read for you Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. When you see the word loving kindness in the word, it is the word that we use for mercy. Mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Who asks that? Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a what? A clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Next week when we come to the word of God, this will be the psalm that we are talking about. So maybe gear up for a few weeks of repentance. Many of us need to repent of sins. And David's teaching us how right here. Let us go before the Lord in prayer and ask God to teach us how to come to Him, how to repent, and how to have God give us new, squishy hearts of love for Him. Let us pray. Lord, we love You so much, and we indeed, as Your children, we thank You for the good gifts that come down from You to us but no greater gift that we can have from you than your mercy. Lord, your tender mercies, the Bible tells us, uh, are new every morning. And as you have taught us, Lord, it's hard really for us to think like that because ours are not like that. We run out of patience. And when we give mercy, we often are angry when we have to keep giving more. That's how we are, O God, but not how you are. For where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And Lord, I pray today that you would give your people grace because we need it. That you would speak to us and that you would change our hearts and our minds and that you would cleanse us from our unrighteousness, O oh Lord. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and change us as you changed the void, dark world when you spoke and said, let there be light. Lord, let there be light in us that we might be not just light for ourselves, but the lights of the world. Oh, well, we come to you today asking, Lord, that you would, like David requested here in Psalm 51, that you would wash us, that we might be whiter than snow. Help us, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy The Supreme Court of Heaven is in session. As we come here to Psalm 50 again, all who have calls to plead, draw near, give attention. God save us all and this honorable court. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Testimony has been given by God Himself and the King of the universe with perfect judgment has spoken and is still speaking as we continue our teaching from this psalm of Asaph. As we said last week, many people might imagine that there will only be one day of judgment that's coming in the far distant future, and that as it comes at the end of the world, the great day, of course, is coming, but that day that God sets everything right. But until then, we'd be very mistaken to not understand that God holds court every day. As sure as God will judge the world and judge the wicked for their evil deeds, he is judging who right now? His His people. Judgment waits for those who do not know God, but not for us. The court is being held every day. And like a loving father, God judges us constantly. He is correcting us and guiding us, leading and lifting us up. This has been God's way. According to the scriptures, this is proof of our special relationship with him. And this is something that's also being talked about here in the psalm. God does not deal with everybody like he deals with you. You are special. When I walk through the airport and I see a child misbehaving, uh, Brother Andy, I don't pull my belt off and whoop his hind in. Why not? Well, he isn't mine, that's why. And I love my children enough to do that when they need it, and I hope they understand that they're loved when I do it. I don't spank my children or discipline and correct my children out of anger toward them or uh, because I'm going to pay them back for what they've done wrong. I do it because I love them. I generally say something like this, and, you know, you fathers can be sympathetic. I generally go, do you really think I want to do this? Do you really think I like this? And maybe, you know, maybe one day when I grow up, you know, when I'm like, Sixty-five or seventy or something, I. But then I won't have any little kids. Maybe I'll be spanking my grandkids, and I'll say, you know what? Hey, I'm really enjoying this. This is fantastic. Because <laughs> I know it's going to reap good fruit. This is so much fun. Maybe I'll maybe I'll take that tag. But, but honestly, I don't particularly like it. But God has a chosen people for His name. You'll see this in the Psalm. God is saying, "This is what I do to my people. What do these people have to do with me?" And they don't have anything to do with it. And God is not treating them and disciplining them as a father. He's not. Remember when Jesus spoke to some of them? He said, you know what? You're like your father, the devil, right? Now, I know this is a little hard for us to deal with because we sort of like, we we sort of think that everybody is, everyone is God's children. Well, they're, they're just not. God's not sending his children to hell. I can tell you that right now. His children, he has prepared heaven for them. But those that are not his, hell is where they're going. And I know that's rough, but it's true. It's what the Bible says. I mean, how many of you would send any of your children to hell? Would you send your children to hell? Is there anything that they could possibly do that you would send your children to hell for? Probably not. God, was a chosen people for his name, meets out his rulings from the constant court of his word. His chastening and his leading is the way it is evidence of our position with him that is fixed and cannot change. We heard this from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And you'll hear this throughout scripture. The doctrine behind it is called antithesis. And antithesis means there is an us and there is a them. This is kind of something that really should make you go, you mean I get to be one of the us's? Why is that? And. And you might go, but I've done all kinds of bad things and, and I haven't always done right. You go, that's right. That's how it works. God loves you. He's kind to you. He's, he shows mercy to you, but God doesn't show mercy to everyone. He didn't show mercy to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah that burned in fire and brimstone. And, and mercy is not going to be shown to those who burn in the lake of fire. The Bible tells us that the worm doesn't die there. The fire is not quenched. The Bible even takes us to the place where the man, the rich man who neglected the poor man at his table, and he said, could you just touch your finger in the water and just touch it to my tongue, please? Could you please go and tell my brothers? Could you tell them to repent? And he said, you know what? They wouldn't listen to me, and though one rose from the dead, they won't listen to him either. No. That's rough stuff, but it's right straight in the Bible, and if you don't read it and you don't believe it and you don't understand it, It's because you need to look at it a little bit more. Deuteronomy 30. For this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that thou should say, Who shall go up to heaven and bring it down that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou should say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? But the word is very nigh thee in thy mouth and in thine heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, death and evil. The Bible says that one day God was going to do what? In the the Old Testament, he said God was going to do something different. He wasn't just going to give us a law that was in a book on our table in our house, but he was going to do what? He was going to write God's law where? On our hearts. See, I have set before you this day life and death. Good, life and good and death and evil, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that thou and thy seed may live. Psalm 50, as we talked about last week, is one day in the daily courtroom of God and he's laying out how he judges those who will not obey his commands to bring their tithes and offerings to the house of the Lord, but they have kept back What God has commanded. And when they did bring it, they brought it thinking that God owed them something for it. Like, you know what? God should really be impressed. Look how much I gave this week. I mean, I could have kept that for myself. I could have bought a Nintendo. Well, I don't even know what Nintendo is, but a Nintendo, I don't know that, you know, I know that it's got to be some number, right? Or some whatever. All right. That doesn't mean I don't know what a video game is because... I do, and I'll tell you all about it later on if you want to know about it. But but Nintendo was an old thing. Forget that. Okay, so. Um, last week we were reminded of the words of Jesus that it is not up to us to judge. Brother Andy read it to us from Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, we talked about what that means. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to show judgment. You know, I think I'll have a double cheeseburger Not the salad, right? This is judgment. It happens. I know there are some that that would be their judgment. You know, I'm not going to cast aspersions here. Um, You know, some of us like to get around and talk food theory one another. Uh, Some of us enjoy food maybe a little too much. I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of getting hungry right now just thinking about it. But last week we were reminded that we were not to judge as far as condemn. It's not up to us to go, you know what? That kid is no good. Hell is going to be his home. Do you know there's one judge doing that and it's not you. But we oftentimes are tempted to look at people and, and we think we know. We think we know the ones. Like they look a certain way and they talk a certain way. Now Jesus said, yeah, there's fruit and you need to look at these things. But, but honestly, you really don't know. Because man looks on the outward but God sees what? He sees the heart. And this is where this goes back to. This is what this psalm is about. There were people that were really good at looking the part, that looked like it, like uh, Jesus talked to us about in Matthew 7. Do you know there will be those who think they're going to heaven who aren't going? Man, that's a scary thought. Who were like, wait a minute, I went to church every week, and I gave in the offering every week, and I was nice, and I didn't say certain words, and I was really good, and I get to go to heaven. And God will say to some of those people who thought they were going to heaven, and he will tell them they're not going. Now, what in the world is that about? I mean, I thought you were a Calvinistic grace church. I mean, everybody gets to go to heaven, right? Folks, they don't go. If you do not have a heart that's been changed by God, if you haven't been born again, and maybe there are those in here who are not even regenerate, who maybe will be, you might be wondering, what what is he talking about? I'm talking about if you don't do what is right because you want to, chances are you're not regenerate. If you do it because you come here and because you don't want everyone here to think you're a bad guy, then you probably aren't doing it for the right reason. Some of you need to pray and ask God to change your heart, to give you a new heart. We don't talk a lot about getting saved in our church because we believe in covenantal succession. We believe that we, as, as Christians, expect our children to be saved. But you know, God doesn't always do it from the time they're born. There are some people who go, their lives, they're like 15, 16 years old. They don't, they're at the church, but they don't even love God. I think there's a few of those here. You know, God can give you a new heart. You might be just going, you know what? I just not like the other kids. You know, you need to say, God, I want to know you. God, I want you to give me a new heart, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, help me, oh God. I don't want to be, uh, you know, in this group but not in the kingdom. Folks, we've we've got to call on God. And if God hasn't changed your heart and you're sitting there going, you know, wow, okay, that's kind of scary. I don't know if God's changed my heart. Folks, we should be gathering every week saying, oh God, give me a heart. Your pastor does that. When the people of God turned away from God and looked back on what others had done for God, they, they banked on God owing them something for doing great things for Him. People that really have new hearts don't do that. Isaiah 66. Remember we talked last week how when they gave, they gave so much that they had to tell them to quit giving, right? Remember we did that, right? And, but in Isaiah 66, here's what He says to them. He says, "'Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne.'" And the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you're going to build for me? And where is the place of my rest? Does God need us to make a a bed for him to sleep on? Does he need us to build a throne so he can sit on? Does he need us to build some great temple like they built to Artemis and uh, the temple of Artemis, so with the great white pillars so that he can have a really neat place? Does God need that? No. But yet they built, God let them build it. Why? For them. For all these things has my hand made, God says in Isaiah 66. All those things have been, saith the Lord. And to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and if contrite and trembleth at my word, I'll make my home with him. He that kills an ox, it will be as though he slew a man. He that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He's saying, you can offer all you want to offer, but if your heart isn't right and if you don't love me and if if something hasn't been changed in you, it's not really going to make a lot of difference. He that burns incense, it will be as if he blessed an idol. Do you know the good works of people who are not regenerate, God hates them. Do you know this? Do you know if you give in the offering? Do you know if you do good works and if your heart's not changed? Do you know God says you are incapable of righteous living? It doesn't matter what it looks like you're doing. It isn't righteous. The Pharisees looked as though they were living righteously. But they were not. Why? Because what wasn't right? Because their heart wasn't right. Pastor Mark, have you gone crazy? Some, some of you need to get saved today. Some of you need a new heart. You go, well, I, I think that's insulting. Read the Bible and get insulted by it. It's in there. If your heart is not for God, and if the the origin of why you do what you do isn't out of love for God, you might go, it's not. Then get on your knees and ask God to save you today. Yea, they've chosen their own ways. Their soul delights in their abominations. I will choose their delusions. I will bring their fears upon them because when I called, they didn't answer. When I spoke, they didn't hear and they did evil before mine eyes and chose that which I delighted not. God does not need anything from you. You don't give in the offering because God has needs. You don't do the good thing because God couldn't have somebody else do it. It doesn't work like that. Out of love and kindness for you, he gives you something to do. Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul said it this way in his message to the Athenians. These guys in Athens, they had gods for everything, right? God of the sea, God of the war, God of the storm, God of the, you know, fertility, they had everything. And he said, I'm going to declare unto you to the unknown God. They even had a a temple, a a thing written on a stone to the unknown God. He's like, you covered all your bases, don't you? (laughs) He said, to the unknown God whom therefore you ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. That's, what, that's how Paul's sermon goes in Acts chapter 17. He says this. He says uh, in verse 24 of Acts chapter 17, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gives life and breath and all things. As we get into Psalm 50, he asks this question in verse 13. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Do you think God, God is like, do you think I'm like you? I mean, when, when God doesn't smell a Ruth Chris steak and go, wow, <laughs> wish I could afford that. Whew, man, I'm throwing that out there. You know, my birthday's, well, it happens sometime, once a year. Uh, showing that out there. And it's October, but it's never too early uh, to make a Ruth Chris steak. Um, oh, Lord, let there be. Well, I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats. God doesn't eat steak. He doesn't eat. He doesn't eat. So what's the offering about? Everybody say, the offering is for me. Is for me. God gives us something to do. He gives us a way to participate. And what we get out of it is, you know what, you know, I've got to bring my thing to God because you know, without it, God's probably not going to, things aren't going to work out. This is what the indictment in Psalm 50 is about. So when he gets to, to verses 14 and 15, God tells them what he wants. How many of you want to know what God wants from you? I sure do. It's certainly not something that you can put in your wallet. It's certainly not something that's going to add to your bank account. God says, if you want to give me something, give me Thanksgiving. How hard's that? Well, the truth of it is, if you don't have a heart that's thankful, it's probably impossible. You know, you can't even be thankful without a thankful heart. I mean, if you feel entitled to whatever you have and, and you know, you feel like uh, the world owes you something or God owes you something, when good things happen to you, you know what you do, Steve? You're like, well, that's right. <laughs> that's what I ought to be having. I mean, you know, when I was a young man, I wasn't thankful. I thought that if I lived really good and I was squeaky clean and I didn't do all the bad stuff that people did, I figured God owed me. I really did. You might even be like that. You might think, well, wait a minute, I'm a good kid and I'm not like these bad people I see out here in the world and all that they do. Folks, God doesn't owe you anything. Certainly not because of what you've done. Now, we could talk about what you are owed by God in a good way uh, because of what he has bound himself to as his child. That's a whole other thing. We 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 are inheritors if you belong to God if you've been given a new heart if God has changed you you have everything But he says here in verse 14 of Psalm 50 offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the most high Now here are uh, this is what I see there are two things here that God is asking for and he's asking for something that is never required to be given In the law. Can anyone tell me the commandment of the Ten Commandments that says, be thankful? Nope. How about the one that says, make promises to God that you don't, you know, that's not one of the commandments either. But here what you have in this verse are two things that are optional. Now you might go, well, what what, what do you mean? Well, I'll, I'll explain to you what I mean. When people are only doing what they have to do, you know, Benjamin got a nice card from John and and the the card said this. It said, thank you for going the extra mile. What's that about? Jesus talks about this. If someone uh, asks you, hey, will you walk that mile with me? What did Jesus say we should do? Walk the extra mile, right? Doing what you're asked to do, doing what you're expected to do is one thing but when you do more than that what's that about you don't have to that comes from a heart of thanksgiving when you start to see wait a minute you know God gives me everything so it's also hard to give give it away because what will God do he'll just give me he'll just give me more and this is kinda neat you know and when you start to see the things that you have as coming from God Instead of your condescending to let him have some of it and that he owes you something for it, it's a good thing. First Thessalonians 5:18, In everything, give and everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's the will of God, simply even because Psalm 50 says that's what God wants. Give God what you have, be thankful to be able to, to be a part of His work, not thinking, he owes you something because you've done some grand favor for him. Giving to God and those who are in need is a way to show our thanksgiving for what he's given us. Now in Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, he spoke to them about the blessings of this faith free will giving. Now I've never heard of faith free will giving, but I'm going to it's it's a little new thing for me. Faith, say faith free will giving. I know it's a lot of F's here, but faith free will giving. So a faith-free will gift is when you give something away by faith, okay? You give it away, but you don't have to. You don't have to do it. God hasn't required it. It's not written in, you know, 3 Corinthians 2, thou shalt, you know, give every third paycheck to God, right? It doesn't say anything like that, but there are people who do crazy stuff. I've been around people like this. I've been around people who do things they don't have to do because they love God. Anybody anybody ever do anything you don't have to do because you love God? Here's what Paul, he says this. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians 9. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. So just to catch you up on what this is about, the, the, the church in Jerusalem is experiencing a famine and they're having a difficult time. They're having a difficult time finding food. And so the churches in Corinth and Thessalonica and Galatia and Ephesus, they're taking a collection up at Philippi. Philippi sends them a lot of money. And and they gather up gifts and they send it to Jerusalem because the people in Jerusalem in the church are hungry. So this is what he's talking to them about. For I know the forwardness of your mind, which I boast of you to them in Macedonia. He's like, you know what? The offering you gave, I was bragging about your generosity and I knew you were going to give it. So he's... He's discoursing with them about this. He said, uh, your zeal has provoked many. He reminded them how open generosity from some actually is contagious and it kind of spreads to other people. Right? You see someone who's giving, someone who opens their home, someone who feeds people, someone who is hospitable. And you kind of look around and you go, I want to do that. I want to have. I want to do that. I want to bring everybody over. I want to feed everybody. I want to. I want to, Everyone to to just enjoy my blessings. People see that. I want to do that. So verse three. I sent my brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain. And I'll, I'll skip down here. Um, Verse 6, I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity. And there's the, there's the important word for God loves a cheerful giver. Now people today uh, have read this and they see this as a reason for not giving God your tithe. Because they're like, you know, I don't really like to do that, and I don't really want to do that. Uh, and God really, he wouldn't want me to do it anyway, you know. But what he's talking about here is he's talking about something completely different. He's talking about this offering to God for the saints and Jerusalem. And what he, the, 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 the core of this, and even where they are, we are in Psalm 50, is that what things are we doing that we don't have to do? That's really the thing. What does God want? God wants you to do things for him because you love him. He wants you to help the poor because you love. You realize I was poor, but God loved me. What did Jesus do? The Bible says he was rich and he became poor so that we might be rich. And so God loves that kind of stuff. He sees people feeling great about what God's done for them. And he says, you know what? God's forgiven me so much. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a forgiving person. Do you ever purpose this in your heart? Like, you know what? I know they're doing me wrong. I know. And, and, you know, it's the pride of life where we get mad when people treat us bad. We get mad. How dare they treat me like that? Well, you know what? If you just decide to give your pride away and go, you know what? I'm just thankful to be alive. You know what? God's been so good to me. Imagine if we had hearts like this, Rebecca. What in the world would happen If every time people heard us, we're like, you know what? It's a wonder God hasn't burned me up. (laughs) So I'm cutting them some slack. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7. Do you not understand the measure that you judge other people is how you're going to be judged? Imagine being generous with your grace. Imagine if you were gracious. Wouldn't that be something else? Rather than being impatient and angry and, and exacting against others. God is saying, it says, and I quote this all the time. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible from Ephesians 4. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We talk about the parable about the guy that was forgiven so much, but he couldn't forgive this little thing that someone owed him. Oh, let's not be like that, people of God. Here this man has nothing... Here's, here's what he goes on to say I'm, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing here he tells them this he said you know God can multiply things in ways you don't understand now you know the, the world has fuzzy math you know they have the two and two can equal five whatever you want kind of a thing you know God has some fuzzy math too things don't he says you know what I can make things, I can multiply things where you don't even think they're anything. He says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. God will take, and the more good you do, and the more you trust God, and the more of these these faith-inspired, free will gifting that you do, God's like, what I can do in your life will blow your mind. As it is written, verse nine, He hath dispersed abroad and hath given to the poor his righteousness remains forever. How many of you wouldn't it be neat to find out that you actually became righteous because you were forgiving? Do you know God is able to make you He's able to even make you good, Luke? Could you imagine this if God made you really good? Wouldn't it be great to be really good? He that ministers seed to the sower both ministers bread for your food, multiply your seed as sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. God can make you more righteous by you giving away what God has given you. What's He given you? He's given you forgiveness. He's given you mercy. He's given you everything that you hold in your hand, all the stuff you have. And if you give it away, God is saying, oh, if you can give it away, if you got faith to give this away, <laughs> What I'm going to give you is not going to be equal to what you've given away. It's going to be so much more, it's going to blow your mind. One of the great gifts that they get, and and I don't know how this works, okay? But Paul said not only was God multiplying my own righteousness through my giving, but you know what he did? He caused people to pray, and, and those people were giving thanksgiving to God for him. I mean, Steve... I will tell you, you know, you're always looking at me and paying attention, so I'm so I always say your name, I'm looking at you. And Luke too, Luke's looking. When God blesses us and we bless other people, God just blesses us more. When when we can be enriched in the bountifulness and and so people will do so so we're going to pray, and then we go, "Oh God, Lord bless Steve That's what it says this is, this is a blessing Now, you might think God doesn't hear that, or we, you may even think it's an offhanded comment. You get people all around going, "Oh, thank God for Pastor Mark, Oh Lord, I thank you for my pastor. Oh God, thank you for my thank you for Caden, Lord, he's such a good young man, Lord, he was such a blessing. Do you know somehow God hears this, and, and we get like some serious credit. I don't understand this, okay? But that's what it says. It says that we are enriched in everything to bountifulness. It causes through us thanksgiving to God. People then are going, oh God, you're good to me. You know when we answer people's prayers, someone's going, oh Lord, I have a need. And then you come and meet the need. You know what those people do? They thank God for you and they thank God for answering his prayers. That's how we get multiplied Thanksgiving, verse 12, for the administration of the service not only supplies the want of the saints, but it is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. And you go, well, he doesn't need that. No, he doesn't need it. God likes it. I mean, is anyone looking forward to the day when we don't eat food anymore that they just give us these pills that have all the stuff in it and you don't have to cook and do anything? You ever watch these futuristic movies and I'm going, I'm not looking for that day. Imagine if everything was just about what you needed and there were no Twinkies, you know. There was no Rocky Road ice cream. There was no, you know, you know, icy Coke, you know, to go with your favorite pretzels, you know, whatever. I I mean, I'm not looking forward to that. While by the experiment of the ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection of the gospel and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. And by their prayer for you, they long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. I mean, somehow this is working out. Ryan, when people are going, oh, thank God for Ryan. Do you know God hears that and God goes, I think I can do something about that. I think I'm going to bless Ryan. Ryan. He ends with this in, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 9. He says, thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift. You know how people will say, in lieu of giving me a present, make a gift to my favorite charitable contribution. You guys seen this for My Favorite Charitable Cause, right? You could all do this. Permission to me and my would be fantastic. But, but what the Apostle Paul says, in lieu of giving me anything, give thanks to God. This is an unspeakable gift to know that people are calling out and giving thanks to God for God's provision and for the provision that comes from them. And you might go, well, what, what can we do with that? Huh? Hey, I can tell you right now, God getting thanksgiving according to Scripture is a really good thing. God getting thanks on behalf of the things you're doing is a really good thing. We read Malachi chapter 3. There's more of it here. And if you're worried that I'm not moving along through this, through this psalm very fast, don't worry, I'll, I'll get there. Because you see, most of the psalm's message for us is really in the middle of it in verses 14 and 15. And the rest of it is really reminding us that he doesn't have anything to do with some people on earth, but he does have something to do with you. So just relax for a moment. I'm going to make three weeks out of Psalm 15. Malachi 3, our Old Testament reading. It makes this very clear, starting in verse 1. We read it earlier, but I'm, we're going to do it again, okay? He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come in his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight. Behold, he will come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may be able to abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. Now, this is something that's talked about in Psalm 50. It's talked about in the Scripture several times. This refiner's fire. Is the refiner's fire the fire of destruction or the fire of purification? It's purification. You don't put gold and silver in the fire to burn it up. You put it in there to clean it up and to purify it. And so what God is talking about here, when God deals with his people, the fire that goes before, the the fire of God is not the fire of judgment for us in the sake of in the sense of we get burnt up by it we do get burnt up by it but it doesn't burn us completely up he shall sit as the refiner and the purifier of silver and he shall purify the sons of Levi. he shall purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the lord an offering of righteousness how many of you want to give god something that he wants he doesn't want your filthy gift He doesn't want your gift that comes from the heart that feels like you're doing Him a favor. He wants you to give Him a righteous gift that comes from the heart, that's out of love, that says, I don't have to do this, but I want to do this because I love God. Then shall the offering of Judah in Jerusalem be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years, and I will come near to your judgment. And I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, false swearers, against the oppressors of the hireling of his wages, the widow, the fatherless, that turn aside the stranger from the right, and fear not me, saith the Lord. And this, this, this verse right here in Malachi 3.6 might even be puzzling to you, if, you if, if we weren't on this train of thought here. For I am the Lord and I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. You know how the Bible says our God is a consuming fire, right? So what is he talking about here? He's saying, sons of Jacob, you don't get burnt up. You get the filth purged out of you. The fires that are the fires of judgment that are judging the world. Just like, you know, the water that destroyed the earth, the same water raised up Noah above it. And the Bible talks about this. One, it destroys, and the other, it lifts up and it purifies For I, the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. So here it is again. God's judgment is not to wipe us off the face of the earth. It is to purify us, so that we will abide and do what he has determined that we will do. Even from the days of your father, you're gone away from my ordinances. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, saith the Lord. But how shall we return, he asks. Will a man rob God? Yet had you robbed me when you say, "Wherein have we robbed God? And he says... You haven't given your tithes and your offerings to the Lord. You're cursed with a curse. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. So he tells them how to repent. Bring ye the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. Prove me now. For if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour upon you a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer. Verse 12. All nations shall shall call you blessed. Down to verse 14. It is vain to serve God. And what profit? He said, you have you said these things about me. He told them you did wrong and that you didn't pay your tithes because you didn't believe you sh- needed to do that. But also what you did is you said there's no benefit in serving God. He says this in verse 14. It's vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord? People oftentimes will go, I mean, I've served God all my life and you never did anything for me. I served God all my life, and I still went through difficulty. And God says, is that how you're going to talk about me? How we talk about God's important. I got to keep moving. I'm going to have to skip past this. So he says, pay your vows. So in verse 14, he, tell, he tells them he wants thanksgiving and he wants them to pay their vows. What is this pay this vow stuff? This is not about money. Could be about money, but it's not necessarily about money. So we look at the other thing. He wants them to be thankful and faithful in their giving and doing it with a right heart before him. But God, the good judge of heaven, wants us to pay our vows. So what does this mean? Well, if if you look in the Old Testament, you'll see this over and over again. There are these vows. They're, in fact, even after Christ comes, they're doing this. Um, it's in the Book of Acts. You can read about it where Paul makes a vow. How many, how, many, how many have ever heard of the Nazarite vow? Right? There's rules to this. Right? Don't don't cut their hair. They're not going to drink wine. Uh, they're not allowed to touch certain things uh, and, and they they live a, a different life there are there's lots of these okay there are times when people made promises to god some of them weren't very good promises some of them were things they shouldn't have done remember the guy who made the rash vow god gives him victory and he said i'm so thankful the first thing that greets me i will offer it to the lord in a burnt offering and happened to be his only daughter like right it was horrible but the deal is, is you'll see this throughout the scriptures. And in fact, not only will you see it throughout the scripture, you'll see it in your life. Now, you can't just say something and bind God, but you can say something and bind yourself. You get in a bad situation and, and you're worried about something. You, you get the news that Nathaniel is in a car crash and you don't know. And you say, oh, you know, and you're, oh Lord, if you... Spare my son. Then I will. People do this. And you might go, well, they should never do this. I don't think the Bible teaches that. The Bible says if you make a vow to God, what should you do? You should, you should keep it. In fact, the Bible says righteous people keep their vows. So that might mean that righteous people actually make vows. I mean, wouldn't that make sense? If, right, if the righteous keeps his vows, then maybe the righteous even makes some vows. There are some times when vows are appropriate. How many of you have trouble sometimes keep running into the same thing over and over and over and over in your life? Imagine if you took a vow before the Lord about it. Now, if you make a vow, you better keep it. But once again, what is a vow? A vow is a voluntary thing. Some people say, okay, I vow I'm not going to eat. And I'm going to shave my head and I'm not going to talk. Or I'm, people make these vows. I don't know why. What the, God doesn't tell them they have to do this. It's not in God's word like, all right, here's a vow you're going to make. No, this is something people do. Nobody makes anybody take a vow. A vow is something. It wouldn't mean anything if you did, right? You're holding a gun to somebody's head. You're going to make a... Well, it's like, well... well no, it's something you voluntarily do. So in verse 15, we see a a picture of this because he says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee. You'll find these, these events in the Bible where people are in bad situations and they're like, Lord, I want you to do this. And if you do this, then I will do that. If you do that, you better keep your promise with God. I think there is a general lack of the fear of God. Like I think God's graciousness has caused us to not understand who he is. And God is good and he's kind, but God remembers what we say. You know, if we say, Lord, if this happens, I will do that. You better be doing it. You better be thinking about it. You better make sure you keep your vow. But it goes right back to the heart of this other question, this this giving, this offering, this something that comes from the free will of the heart. A vow is that kind of thing. I'm not recommending everyone go out and take a bunch of vows. I'm just throwing this out for consideration. A vow is something you do from free will, just like the offerings. Many of the offerings are just like giving to the poor. Yes, we should give to the poor, but God doesn't say exactly how we're supposed to do that, just that, we, that good people do it. And I've mentioned it several times recently, you know, I mean, and the offering plate is only one of many ways to give to the Lord. The Bible says he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. So it'd be great if you gave in the offering or, or to whatever cause we're working on, that'd be great or the building fund or whatever. But, but giving to God, isn't just what you do at church. It's what you do with your life. And, and, and oftentimes these things, nobody ever sees what they are. You find someone somewhere and, Something that needs to be done. No one's around. No one sees it. And you you meet that need out of faith to God. God honors it. So when, you, when we roll through 16 through 24 really quickly, he's reminding them that these promises and these things that he's calling on are for them and not for other people. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee. And thou, wait, I don't want to miss this. And thou shalt me. So God's explaining what the purpose is of the good works that we do. You guys, this may be familiar from the words of Jesus. He says that you're a light on a hill, right? Therefore men shall see your good works and do what? And glorify your Father in heaven. Our good works are not to glorify us. They're to glorify the Lord. That's how we know they're good. If your whole life, if you're hoping that they'll build a presidential library for you uh, or set up a monument to you, you're probably on the wrong path. But he goes to verse 16, and, 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 and I'm not trying to say that these next verses aren't important and we could spend a lot of time on them if you want, but I really believe 16 through 24 are a reminder that the promises and the instructions that God is giving, that this judgment that the judge is handing out are for his people. Okay? Okay? He says in verse 16, but unto the wicked God says, What have you to do to declare my statutes or that you should take my covenant into your mouth? Like, who are you? I mean, did the Philistines get up and go, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No, they don't. They're not. They're the Philistines. They're the Canaanites. They're the Amalekites. They're all of these guys. These are not God's people. Seeing thou hate's instruction, castest my words behind thee. When thou saw a thief, thou consentest with him, and hast been a partaker with adulterers. I mean, maybe the thing to learn from this is, this is what we shouldn't be doing. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frames deceit. Thou citizen speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. We need to spend all week reminding us that, that Christian people don't talk bad about each other and lie about each other and treat each other like trash. Do you need to hear that? Good. Yeah. Amen. Thou citizen speaks against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things have you done, and I kept silence. Thou thought that I was altogether such as one like yourself, but I will reprove thee, and I will set them in order. God reminds us this is what heathen people do. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, this evil that you're allowing in your church is not even known among the ungodly people. Paul told the Ephesians, these people, of course they live like this. They're blind. Their hearts are messed up. They're far from me. But you're not. You've been given a new heart. You know what's right. God's law is written on your heart. You shouldn't act like this. It's not the other way around. You act like this and now you get kicked out. You act like this, but it's shameful. It's shameful. You know better. I mean, my children were raised in my house. And if they start acting like the kids that have been neglected and lived out in the world and don't know any better, then what on earth? It's shameful. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your mother's son. These things have I done. He says, verse 22, now consider this, you that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces. I mean, this is pretty rough stuff from God, right? God's judgment will not always be put off. I mean, the Bible talks about it. The bow is bent, the sword has been sharpened, and it's ready to roll. It actually stops in verse 22. Consider this, ye that fear God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. And he ends with this, and I'll end with this today. Whoso offereth praise glorifies me. Back to this same thing that he talked about in verse 14. Verse, what was it, verse 15? Yeah, verse 15. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. This same thing here as it comes to an end in verse 23. Whoso offers praise glorifies me. And to him that ordereth his conversation, aright. Now, this is not... It is about your talk, but conversation means your lifestyle. God wants us to order our lifestyle in such a way that shows that we love God and that we love others and that we are merciful to us, the giving because God has given us so much and that, our, that we do this out of hearts of love. This is, this is what the real message of the man who doesn't have a right heart can have all the right rules and he will never please God. By just obeying a bunch of rules. It's only when a man's heart is changed. Whoso offereth praise glorifies me, and to him that orders his entire life aright will I show the salvation of God. The judge makes his judgment, and he judges those whose hearts are not right. And when we're here today, we might go, you know, you may have heard this, and you may say, you know what, my heart isn't right. I realize that my heart's not right at all. Well, you know what? God can give us a heart. Amen? You know, when the apostle Paul reminds us that he died every day to his own flesh, you know, I believe that there's a renewing that happens in us, you know? I think that's why we need to pray. That's why we need to call out to God. Maybe, maybe we say, hey, you know, what? I need a new heart today. Lord, I know you said you've given me one. I'm not trying to say you never did that, but Lord, I need another one today because I've Something bad has gone wrong in me. I've allowed the deceitfulness of sin or the root of bitterness or or whatever. The Bible says, beware of the root of bitterness. Let it spring up and defile you. Oh God, give us new hearts today. That's what we need. If You're here today and you need a new heart. Call unto God. He will hear you. He will maybe break your heart. Because a broken and a contrite spirit, the Bible says, God will not despise. Let us pray. Lord, you know who you're speaking to today and you know what it is that they need to hear, what I need to hear, Lord. Lord, you have been faithful not to allow sin to just build up on, in my life and allow me to live in it, Lord. I couldn't live with myself if I had... Lord, some of us have allowed sin to cause us to be bitter or the lack of forgiveness to spring up in our life and and cause such great pain, the deadening of our love for others. Lord, make make us squishy and lovey. Help us feel love for our brother and sister. It's hard to do what's right. But it's so much easier, it's so much better, it's so much more lovely, O God, when we can indeed do it from a heart of love, O God. I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us hearts today. There are so many here today, I know, who need this. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would answer their prayers. And Lord, that you would help them to be merciful because you have been merciful, Lord, but you would give them thankful hearts. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinet of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.